0: Pastor Adam Levecki here. This is a sermon live from Rescue Church. We hope it blesses you. Today I wanted to actually share about dreams, decisions, and destinations. And so I went on a Merriam-Webster and I was like, okay, how does Merriam-Webster define a dream in a literal sense and a figurative sense? Uh, literally, it's a series of thoughts, images, or emotions occurring during sleep. So say you live like a 90 year lifespan. About a third of that time is obviously spent sleeping. So that's 30 years that you are in bed. And from those 30 years, a lot of that time is spent dreaming. And our God is too good to just waste all those years of dreaming to not do anything about it. He speaks in dreams. He spoke to people in the Bible through dreams and he speaks to people today through dreams. So dreams are important. In a figurative sense, which most of us are aware of, it's a strongly desired goal or purpose, right? So, in our context, what's familiar is the American dream, right, what is the American dream? Uh, America, the land of opportunity, you start your own business or you get a nice job, you have a salary, you get a house, kids, send your kids to a nice school have a good education system. Uh, I'm not saying that's a bad thing, I'm just saying that's the American dream. In our society, that's almost like The gold standard or the gold star that uh, you know you're you're doing well you're doing well in life it's those are nice things you know we have our dreams we have our desires destinations whatever you want to call it Uh, and oftentimes for believers these can be from God and I think sometimes though we can fall into the trap of making these God-given dreams too much about ourselves which I'm going to touch on later. But yeah, for now, these dreams can be from God. Why? Right? God is the ultimate visionary. Yep. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for you to prosper, to have a hope and a future. God's desire is goodwill for men. God is uh, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Hebrews 12, 2. God is the interpreter of dreams, Genesis 40, which we're going to go into in a bit. So some of you have received glimpses, you know, understandings of your prophetic assignments and what is to come. Some of you have been waiting on it for a long time. And for me, that's sometimes the hardest part, the most frustrating aspect of of things to come, the waiting. God told Abraham, hey, you're going to have a son. From that time that word was released to the time that the son came, that was 25 years. You know, God's timing is not our timing. And 25, I'm, I'm barely over 25, I'm 28. That's most of my life that Abraham was waiting for the God's word to come true in his life. For an Isaac, for an Isaac. that's good. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. So the question really is, how can we faithfully steward dreams, our assignments, our calling that God has placed in each of us? And we're going to be going into the life of Joseph today. It's going to be a lot of, uh, today's a good day to have your Bible open. We're going to be going into Genesis 37. Joseph, he's a man of dreams, a man of very evident prophetic destiny. And what's fascinating too about Joseph is that God puts the dream into Joseph way before the appointed time of fulfillment. And it's going to take 13 years for Joseph to mature into the vessel that is able to even carry out his prophetic destiny. So, some quick context and facts about Joseph. Uh, Yosef, hopefully I'm pronouncing that accurately to the Hebrew. It literally means Jehovah will add. The name means increase. So, Mr. Garcia, if when you watch this, you have a powerful name. Uh, Joseph is the elder of the two sons of Jacob that were from Rachel. Jacob's the patriarch. The patriarchs are Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I'm mentioning specifically by Rachel because we're gonna go into these family dynamics. It's a little weird. Um, They were born in, he was born in Padamaron, which is modern day Iraq. And this story begins where they live in the land of Canaan in the valley of Hebron. So let's go to Genesis 37. Now Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger, in the land of Canaan. This is the history of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers. And the land was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report to them, to his father. So Joseph's a young guy. He's 17 years old. The the Bible even says he's a lad. right? And he was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah. So just a little quick context again about the family dynamics for uh, Joseph and Jacob. You can see here Jacob, the the patriarch, right? He actually had four women that he made babies with. Uh, There's no kids, okay, okay. So Leah is the oldest sister, and long story short, Jacob really liked Rachel. It actually says almost lusted after Rachel. He really wanted Rachel. He got tricked into marrying Rachel's older sister, Leah. So there was already some weird enmity between them. The scriptures even say Leah had weak eyes. That's a nice way of saying she was ugly, right? So he married them two, and there was a lot of dysfunction in them, a lot of weird competition, right? Leah started popping out a lot of sons, and Rachel was almost barren, it said. And so Rachel was like, you know what? I gotta catch up. Jacob, go into Bilhah, my servant. So at least I can have some kind of sons in my name. So Jacob was like, I guess I will oblige to your request, honey. And he went into Bilhah. And then Leah stopped having sons, and she was like, wait a second. Rachel's catching up to me through her servant. Jacob, go into Zilpah, my servant. So Jacob had more babies through Zilpah, and eventually through Rachel as well. And uh, Joseph and Benjamin, they popped out later, and that's why he's one of the youngest ones out of all his brothers, so... You can already see, one, I mean, polygamy is not the answer, if anyone's thinking about it. But there's going to be a lot of dysfunction. A lot of dysfunction that kind of stems from a lot of this. All right. Um, What else does this say here, right? Joseph brought a bad report to them from his father. What does that mean? You can only bring a report about someone. He's not just a tattletale. He's in a position of actually authority over his brothers. They were shepherds, right? And it says they were tending the flock. Likely, Joseph, although he was the youngest... Was the chief shepherd over his brothers. So he can report on them and tell his dad, like, hey, these guys are doing a bad job. So already there, there's those dynamics again amongst his brothers. Uh, Let's see, let's keep going into verse 3. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. Um, That phrase specifically doesn't just mean he popped out when he was old, that means Joseph had wisdom beyond his years, he was very wise. And also, he made him a tunic. Joseph made, uh, uh, Jacob made Joseph a tunic of many colors. So, that's like, that's like Joseph getting a Versace um, coat or Louis Vuitton Gucci, something of very high value from his father and his brothers maybe rocking like Marshalls or Target. Like, there was a very clear distinguishment between who's the favorite one, who's the chosen one, and who's not. So, it's, it, it, the tunic, many colors, many dyes. That's, that's pricey back then. So his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers. Um, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. There's no shalom. It's all bitterness. A lot of hatred. Verse 5. Now Joseph had a dream. All right, here we go. He told it to his brothers and they hated him even more. Again, more <laughs> hatred. So he said to them, please hear this dream I had. All right. so, um, there we were, binding sheaves. Sheaves is a bundle of grain. We were binding sheaves in the field. Then behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright, and your sheaves stood all around my sheaves and bowed down. Hmm, I wonder what that means, guys. <laughs> and so his brother said, Shall you indeed reign over us? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? Is that what you're saying, Joseph? So they hated him, again, hated, even more for his dreams and for his words. Joseph's not that socially aware, so he had another dream, and he's like, i got to share everything again. So he says, look, hey guys, I had another dream. Here's my dream. This time, the sun, that's his father, the moon, his mother, and the 11 stars, his 11 other brothers, they are bowing down to me. So then even his father ends up chiming in. He's like, what is this dream that you've dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you? And it says his brothers envied him, and his father kept the matter in mind. So, dreams. Dreams were taken very seriously in the ancient Near East. That's, uh, that's like the time period of everything that takes place in this narrative. Uh, dreams, especially if they were repeated twice, they were assumed by all the people, not even just the Jews, but even if the pagans, that... One, it was the divine speaking to man and if it's repeated twice in a similar theme, this is likely to happen. It's going to come to pass and it's going to come to pass soon. So that's why it doesn't just say like they ignored him but they envied him because clearly they assumed what Joseph's saying, that actually might happen and that's why his father kept the matter in mind. Let's keep going. Uh, Verse 12. Then his brothers went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers feeding the flock in Shechem? Come, I'll send you to them. So he said to him, Here I am. And so Shechem is about a 50-mile journey, so a 20-mile walk, just uh, as a heads up. And what's known about Shechem, why were they there? Shechem's very fertile, a lot of vegetation. It's good for the sheep. So it makes sense that they went out there. Let's jump to verse 18. Now when they, his brothers, when they saw him far off before he came near them, they conspired against him to kill him. Then they said to one another, look, this dreamer is coming. Come therefore, let us now kill him and cast him into some pit. And we shall say, some wild beast has devoured him. Then we'll say, what shall become of his dreams? The spirit of hatred that was on them, that spirit of hatred always gives birth to murder. You gotta take care of that. And the enemy's using them here. The enemy wants to kill the dreams that are in Joseph before they come to fruition. The enemy wants to kill the seed of dreams in you before you come to maturity and fruition. He's always trying to take you out early. Look at abortion. He's always trying to take things out when they're young, when they're vulnerable. That's right. So we're going to go into this more later again. But learn to steward what the Lord is releasing in you at this time, the seed that is growing in you. Let that stay on that fertile soil. Keep your hearts tender. So verse 22 or verse twenty-one. But Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands, and said, "Let us not kill him." And Reuben said, "Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit, which is in the wilderness, and do not lay a hand on him, then, and that he might not deliv- that he might deliver him out of their hands and bring him back to his father." So Reuben almost seems like a nice guy, but not really. So Reuben was the firstborn; he's the eldest, and uh, he actually had the authority to stop his brothers from plotting that they were going to kill and hurt Joseph. But one, he was afraid of upsetting his brothers. So he came up with this weird compromise. And two, he was afraid of disappointing his father. Everything he was deciding was based off of fear. So he was going to bring Joseph back secretly to hide from his brothers, back to his father. And a little quick context too about this. Genesis 35, Reuben actually slept with Bilhah, Rachel's servant. So already Reuben is the firstborn, but he's already in a status of shame with his father because of this. So there's all types of dysfunction coming from Reuben and from the family. The fear of man that's in him, that produces weak leadership. He was supposed to be the leader, but he was too afraid of others. Fear of man always produces weak leadership. And weak leadership leads to a lot of pain. The fear of the Lord, that is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One, that's understanding. Proverbs nine 10. Let's keep going. Verse 23. So it came to pass. When Joseph had come to his brothers, that they stripped Joseph of his tunic. That's the first thing they did. They saw that tunic, get that thing off of him. That thing that represents his destiny, his favoritism. That thing that's probably boosting his ego. That's the thing that made them sick. They took that thing and stripped it away from him immediately. The tunic of many colors that was on him. Then they took him and cast him into a pit. And the pit was empty. There was no water in it. Verse 25, and they sat down to eat a meal. That's the craziest part. They're like, all right, let's 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 try to kill our brother. Let's beat him up, throw him in this pit. It was probably a 20 feet deep. Yeah, the blood is not thicker than water in this case. He was uh, thrown into the pit, and they were able to just eat a meal right after that. You know, usually if you have some kind of uh, a conscience, if you do something wrong, you're not going to have an appetite. You're not going to want to have a meal after. But it's almost like they kicked him in the hole, and they're like, oh, that was a nice day's work. Let's go eat, guys. So there's that much disconnect. There's that much enmity, hatred, that they're so disconnected from Joseph, God, and their sin. So what happens after that? Continuing in verse 25, they lifted their eyes and they saw a company of Ishmaelites. They saw slavers coming. And then Judah got a a smart idea. Judah, verse 26. So Judah said to his brothers, what profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come on, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother. So he's, he's almost like, how can we profit even more from getting rid of our brother? Let's sell him as a slave. We can't kill him, right? He, he's our brother. Let's just sell him, profit. And they made 20 shekels off of him. 20 shekels is like at most 200 US dollars today. And then we'll just get rid of him and we'll uh, at least his blood's not on our, on our hands. So they sold him and he went up. He uh, was ended up in slavery into the house of Potiphar. Let's jump to chapter 39. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, he brought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down from there. The Lord was with. Joseph. If you're a highlighter, you're going to want to highlight these parts. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw the Lord was with him. The Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hands. When God's hand is on you, you prosper. When God's hand is over your life, that's what causes prosperity. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. And not just that, when God's hand is on you, that's what causes other people to look at you and be like, something's different about him. Something, I think a few weeks ago, pastor mentioned it too. It's almost like you carry this different countenance, like this joy, this confidence that's unnatural when everyone else might be having a bad day or, or, or cranky. You know, there's a different countenance that comes when the hand of the Lord is on your life. And that's when people begin to wonder, who are you? And, they found, and it says, he found favor in his sight and served him. Then Potiphar made him overseer over his house and all that he had put under his authority. So it was from the time that he made him overseer over his house and all that he had, that even the Lord, the Lord is blessing the slaver's house. The Lord blessed the Egyptian for Joseph's sake. Jesus. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had, His house, his field, his animals, his vegetation, his property, everything that he owned, it was blessed. Just because Joseph was there. When the people of God are in a place, that whole area should become blessed because we bring the presence of God with us and with that comes the authority of heaven. See, that's what we need to realize we have when the presence of the Lord is in, upon, and on us. So, verse 6. Thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hand and he did not know what he had except for the bread he ate. If any of you guys are managers or... You even see, like, really good coworkers, you know, people who, they just get a responsibility or a job to do, and you just know that they're going to take it all the way, and you just know probably a promotion's coming in their life. That's the kind of guy that Joseph was. He was smart, he was capable, and everyone just keeps wanting to, hey, you can take, you can take ownership of this. You can take leadership of this. That was the kind of man Joseph was. And then, then it says, now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. In this case, this is more like an ominous, he's handsome, like, oh, he's good looking, Keep an eye out for that. Something weird is about to come. Verse 7 to 10. And it came to pass, it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph. And she said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, look, my master doesn't know what's with me in the house. And he he has committed all that he has to my hand. There's no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept anything back from me except you. Because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? See, and I love this. It says, So it was as she spoke to Joseph day by day that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. That, that word, to the phrase, to, he did not heed her. That means if she was around, he's not going to be there. He's not even going to flirt with the idea or be in the presence of that. Do not give an ear to the devil. Don't give an ear to temptation. You just say no, because you, the one you're sitting against is God. The one you are harming is God. And Joseph, his heart was so full, full and for God that he said, no, I'm not going to heed this. Don't give an ear to the devil. Okay. So let's keep going. Right, she's pretty aggressive. So verse 11, what had happened about this time, then Joseph went into the house to do his work. No one's around. That she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. He, she's like, she really wants him. But think about this again. Again, he got his tunic stripped off of him, that many-colored tunic, now even his slave garment. This woman is like, lie with me. And he says, no. And he runs away, and his garment is again stripped from him. So she called, and are there any kids in here? She, he, she accused him of, of rape. She accused him saying, uh, she accused him to the servants because no one was around. It was her word against his. She said, Uh, This Hebrew raped me. And she said that to the master as well. And what's interesting is uh, verse 19. So it was when his master heard the words, which his wife spoke to him, your servant did to me after this manner that his anger was aroused. Then Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined. So what's interesting about this is um, when you sleep with your superior's wife or concubine, i mean not only is it a huge sin and disrespectful but that's actually a power move in that time that's a that's a sign that i'm usurping power and authority from you you're not daddy anymore i'm daddy and i'm taking over so it's like the fact though that if you do that you get executed in egyptian culture especially if if you get caught doing that you immediately get put to death uh even king absalom right absalom king david's son when Absalom was taking over King David's uh, throne, he took all the concubines on the roof of the palace and had sex with all of them. And he's like, he was pretty much saying, I'm daddy now. I'm taking over everything. And so this is, it's more of a power move that gets you killed. right? But the fact that he wasn't even executed, but he was thrown in prison, it shows the master didn't even believe his wife. But still, this is an <laughs> ugly situation. This is disrespectful. I got to do something about this. I'm throwing you in the king's prison. And king's prison because the pharaoh was an officer of the court. So he's connected with royalty. Joseph's going to be a prisoner connected to royalty. Right? This is almost like a setback, right? It seems like a lot of things are going well. At this point, it's been about 11 years that Joseph's been serving Potiphar. And then he gets thrown in prison. He didn't do anything wrong here. and It's a setback. That's what it seems like. But sometimes it's the setbacks that happen in our life that position us for what the Lord has next. Sometime, I'm not talking about iniquity or, or backsliding, I will say, where you, make a, you commit a sin, you commit iniquity, and you've got to go around the mountain again. I'm talking about when a circumstance in your life that you have no control of grabs you, slows you down, and says, I can't do anything about it, I, I just, I just got to stay here. Sometimes that can actually turn out to be the Lord's hand and mercy over, over your life. Just an encouragement if you're feeling or going through that right now, because, I mean, that's probably what Joseph was feeling and going through at this point. But again, think about it. King's court, king's prison. Let's go to verse uh, chapter 40. So chapter 40. It came to pass after these things, the butler and the baker of the king, they got thrown in prison too. And they're going to end up having dreams. And where is it? Let's see. Verse 5. Then the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, had a dream, both of them, and each man's dream in one night, and each man's dream with his own interpretation. Verse 6, And Joseph came into them in the morning and looked at them and saw that they were sad. So, think about that, that they were sad. So he asked Pharaohs officers who were with him in the custody of his Lord's house, saying, Why do you look so sad today? And they said to him, We each have had a dream and there is no interpreter of it. So Joseph said, do not interpretations belong to God. Tell them to me, please. So these were Egyptians, pagans. They didn't even know God, but they were receiving these dreams. You know, they were just people who were in a bad situation with their life on the line, who were trying to interpret what was going on around them, their circumstances while they're in prison. The people of God, Us, we're called to speak the words of God, the words of truth to people around us. It says in the scripture, they were sad. They were sad. When you don't hear the words of God, the words of life, that's when sadness comes up. That's when death comes up. That's when hopelessness comes up. It's the words of God that reap words of life. It's the interpretation of reality through the words of God that can help us navigate what's around us, what's happening to us, our circumstances, and in in this case, even our dreams. People are hungry for truth. Everyone keeps saying, my truth. That means no truth. There is only one truth, and his name is Jesus. So real words of truth, God's words, they call for life, hope and peace. People are depressed, anxious, stuck because they're not hearing the words of God. And sometimes those people can even be in the house of God. You got to hear the words of God to be able to understand what he's doing, what he's saying and know how to navigate wherever you're going in life. So that's the authority that we can have when we hear him, we interpret reality and can even speak life into whatever reality is around us. So my encouragement is even in your workplaces, even in your families. Speak God's words. Yes. Speak God's words to interpret whatever is going on accurately, yep. that reality, yep. and speak life into it and from it. Good. Speak truth. Verse, so verse 9, the butler, Joseph's like, okay, I got it. I got what you're saying. Um, God interprets dreams. I'll hear it. Then the butler told his dream. So in a quick summary, I got these little pictures here. Uh, on the left side, the butler, he was handling the, the wine. Right? In the dream, the butler saw a vine, and the vine had three branches with three clusters of ripe grapes from these branches, and they, he took the grapes and he squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup. Joseph said, okay, you're going to be reinstated in three days, um, full, full position, full authority back again. Just don't forget about me, man, because I, I don't belong in here, okay? So the baker hears this, and he's like, oh, that's a good word. All right. So here's my dream, Joseph. I saw three baskets that were stacked in my head, and the top basket that had a lot of baked goods for Pharaoh, and the birds were eating them. <laughs> Joseph said, ooh, you're going to be beheaded in three days and left to hang on a tree, and uh, the birds are going to eat your flesh. <laughs> that's a, that's a rough prophetic, prophetic word. word. <laughs> yeah, he didn't ask for any offering after that. Yeah, I thought it was funny, too, because it, it didn't say anything like, Oh, let me uh, tell them that I don't belong in here. He only said that to the butler. He knew the baker's time was up. (laughs) And um, yeah, it came to pass. Three days later, those guys are both released and everything Joseph said came to pass. But the worst part is uh, they forgot about Joseph. They forgot about him, right? So it's been 11 years he's been enslaved. He's been in prison. And now he's been forgotten and it's going to be for two more years. So let's pause and think about this a bit, right? He was betrayed by his brothers. He was sold into slavery for 11 years. He was falsely accused by his master's wife, his master Potiphar, who he served really faithfully. His master, who, he was doing everything well for him to the point where, hey, you, all you have to worry about is what you're gonna eat. That's how well he served him. And he got accused and thrown in prison. And then this butler who's crying and depressed asks for a word, he gives him a word from God that's accurate, true and that butler forgets about him. <laughs> you know, it's, um, it's pretty rough. Yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty rough. And what I was wondering as I was just reading and processing this was like, what, why? What was the Lord up to in Joseph's life during this time? You know, again, we see that waiting period. We see where, you know, just like Abraham had to wait 25 years, Joseph's put into that position of waiting again, of anticipation, of of what's gonna happen. You know, like, what's going on? I don't understand. Joseph's waiting. So, what I ask is, what is the Lord cultivating in Joseph right now? What happened in those two years when he was in prison? The Bible just skips through, but what kind of dialogue was going on with Joseph and God? What is the Lord stripping away from Joseph? Joseph got his fancy tunic stripped away. Joseph got even his slave garments stripped away. Everything was being stripped away from him, his dignity. Everything that he had was stripped away. And I think if any of us, I think all of us can relate to a degree to, to Joseph's like situation. You know, when everything just seems to almost be going wrong. You know, I think a very natural and low response is to just complain, is to blame, is to almost have a nice pity party. And I think Joseph almost deserves it at this point. You know, you... You're just, he, everything is just seems to be going wrong. He's, he's blaming others. You, you have a strong temptation You just get bitter. You know, my heart's been messed up. My heart's been broken so much. I'm just going to harden it. I'm just, I'm done. You know, and it's, it's in seasons of waiting like this that, uh, yeah, I really wonder, what's the Lord dealing privately with in Joseph? Why is he keeping him here where it's just Joseph and God in this prison? Let's go to chapter 41. So it came to pass at the end of two full years, Pharaoh has a dream. Pharaoh has a dream this time. The dream is there's seven rich fat cows that jump out of the river and they're grazing in the meadow. They're jumping out of the Nile River. That's, that's the river for the Egyptians. And then there's seven ugly starving fat, uh, seven ugly starving cows that ate the fat cows. And then back to back he has another dream, the next dream, seven plump heads of grain came up on one stalk, healthy and good. And then seven thin heads devoured the plump heads. So back to back dreams, similar themes, even for Pharaoh, he knows something's up. In their culture, he's thinking, the divine, whoever is up there is trying to tell me something and it's going to happen really soon. This is not a coincidence. It says in verse eight, he was troubled. Again, sad, depressed, troubled. And he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. And Pharaoh told them his dreams. But there was no one who could interpret them for Pharaoh. God is the interpreter. So verse nine. Then the chief butler spoke to Pharaoh saying, I remember my faults this day. Long story short, he says, I forgot about Joseph. Joseph was the man who was able to interpret my dreams. Joseph had... Something on him that was able to interpret the reality of my situation and see it through accurately. So Pharaoh calls Joseph up and says, hey, I heard that you can interpret dreams. I heard that you have this special ability to be able to tell me what's going on right now. And I love Joseph's response in verse 16. It's not in me. God is going to give Pharaoh an answer of peace. So Joseph interprets the dreams. The dreams are one and God showed it twice, right? There are seven years of abundance that are going to happen in Egypt, followed by seven years of famine. So not only does Joseph get the word, get the interpretation, he also gets the strategy. Now therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land to collect one-fifth double tithe, Of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven plentiful years. Pharaoh wants double tithe. That's not good. (laughs) And let them gather all the food of those good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh. And let them keep food in the cities. Then that food shall be as a reserve for the land for the seven years of famine which shall be in the land of Egypt. So God gave him the word, God gave him the interpretation, and God gave him the strategy too. And Verse 38, Pharaoh said, can we find such a one as this, a man in whom is the spirit of God? Again, Pharaoh, he's not even a believer, but he's like, the spirit of God is on this man. The spirit of God is is soaking on this man, his presence. And so after that, it's, it's promotion time, right? He said, get a wise, discerning man. Joseph, you're that man. So verse 42, then Pharaoh took his signet ring off and put his hand, and uh, ring off his hand, and put it on Joseph's hand. So, really quickly, signet ring. That's how you sign public documents. He's got now authority to put law into action. He was clothed in garments of fine linen. He's got the Versace bags. It's probably even better than what he had before. It's, uh, it's the highest. <laughs> Only worn by the highest classes. That's the fine linen that he got. The gold chain, his rank. His rank represents the spirit that the Lord was brewing in him. His rank now, gold chain, second chariot, the second in command, number two to Pharaoh. And any time that his chariot rode by people, people had to bow. There was someone that screamed, "Bow the knee." Now, bow the knee it means Abrech. I don't know if that's a, but I just throw that in there. Abrech. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but that. But this meant father. This meant native prince. So. The significance of this phrase is that you're not a hebrew anymore they hated hebrews like they were very racist towards hebrews he was naturalized as a citizen so now he had the full rights the full freedom the privileged status as an egyptian so huge upgrade it took he was 30 years old when this came to pass so 17 years at 17 he was sold into slavery at 11 uh 11 years following He was thrown into prison, and two years he stayed there, just falsely accused, but waiting. Verse 56, right? Seven years of abundance, seven years of famine, and then it says in 56, the famine was all over the face of the earth, and Joseph opened up all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, and the famine became severe in the land of Egypt. So all countries came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain, because the famine was severe in all the land." See, everything that was stored in reserve during the years of abundance, during his years of waiting, that became resources in the years of famine. Everything that was stored in him in his times, in his 13 years in prison in, when, while being falsely accused, that became the resources to, that um, became what he needed to be carved into that vessel, into someone who can really maturely handle the strategy that God was about to download on him. So, don't forsake or neglect or hate the years of waiting. Because everything that the Lord is storing in you, in your period of waiting, that's going to become tools and resources that will help you navigate what's to come. That's right. Everything. So, don't miss what He's storing in you. Don't waste those moments. Because those moments matter. That's what's going to produce something real. What's real? When the pressure comes, what's going to come out of you? That's real. So... This is now, it gets a little telenovela It gets pretty dramatic, (laughs) chapter 42. Uh, Let's jump to verse 6, right? Uh, Now Joseph was governor over the land. It was he who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed down before him with their faces to the earth. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he acted as a stranger. He acted as a stranger to them and spoke roughly to them. Then he said, where do you come from? And they said from the land of Canaan to buy food. So Joseph recognized his brothers, but they didn't recognize him. Then Joseph remembered the dreams which he had dreamed about them. See, this is a very different Joseph from the 17-year-old Joseph to the 30-year-old Joseph. 17-year-old lad Joseph was uh, getting these dreams and then going to his brothers and like, yo, you're all going to bow down to me. And he was probably like his... His tuning probably matched his ego. His tuning probably matched, hey, I am the chosen one. I'm the one, child of destiny. I'm the favored one. I'm the chief shepherd. It's all about me, guys. And when he saw the dream come to fruition at, as a 30-year-old man, That's right. it actually, the next few chapters, which we're not going to go into, it actually says he weeped and cried a lot. He was broken. He was heartbroken. <laughs> because God was now beginning to bring restoration to the dysfunction of his family, to the brokenness in his family. And even through everything that he went through, he was gonna use that to save the land from famine and starvation. It wasn't about him. It was never about him. And Joseph, was, it was hitting him hard. You know, the story of Joseph, it's, it's God's mercy that we don't get what we want too early. It, it's God's mercy that keeps us in that waiting. If we, got what we, if we got what he had for us too early, it's gonna crush us. The dream though was already in Joseph before its appointed time of fulfillment. And it takes 13 years for Joseph to mature into a vessel, able to even carry out that prophetic destiny. You know, it's it's a story of transformation. God is more concerned with your transformation than your destination. And it's gonna even take your transformation to reach your destination. And I think the funny thing, too, is people think, oh, my destination is a fulfillment of all my ambitions and dreams. No, the destination is literally Christ. The, de- like, the destination is literally Jesus. It says, one day we will stand face to face before him. We're all on a one-way road to meet him, whether you like it or not. Second Corinthians 5.10 for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due for us, the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. What we do in our lives, it carries forward into eternity. And I'm not talking about the sins that, um, that are forgiven. When it's forgiven, that's done. That's, that's done. I'm talking about what we do for Jesus in our temporal lives. The here and the now. That echoes into eternity. Think about it. Our timelines, they started the moment that you were conceived in your mother's womb. And that timeline was eternal. That timeline of eternity started right when you were conceived, and that goes into eternity. The things that we do in our temporal lives on earth matters. How we spend our time matters. Who we choose to pursue that matters. What we choose to pursue. Everything. Our obedience unto the Lord matters. It says to obey is better than to sacrifice. If you love me, you'll obey my commands, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. If you love him, you'll obey him. Jesus says, Matthew 7, 21-23, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? We did all these things for you, Jesus. We saw mighty miracles. We drove out demons. We healed the sick. Maybe even raised the dead. And in your name, we performed all these miracles. Then it says, 23, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. I never knew you. So then the question ends up being, okay, the only thing that really matters is, do you know him? Do you know him? Do you walk with him when you stand before him one day face to face? Because we all will. Is it going to be as strangers or is it going to be as a friend? You know, Think about that right now. If Jesus was right in front of you and you saw him, would you feel awkward? You don't really know him that well? Would it be like, "Hey, Jesus, how's it been? We just talked yesterday. You're abiding, you're talking with him. You know him. The question is always, do you know him? Our primary purpose, purpose in life is to walk with him and to know him. Everything we else that we do is going to flow from this. We have to know Him. You know, faithfulness in our kingdom assignments, that's good. In our prophetic destinies, that's amazing. But it's got to flow from this. And some of us have been given, yeah, God-given dreams, God-given assignments, God-given vision. These are good things. But any good thing that becomes an ultimate thing is an idol. That's right. Any good thing that becomes the ultimate thing is an idol. An idol, what is that? Anything that takes first place from God. That's right. Anything. The way that we live, it has to stem from knowing Him. From who he is, the concept of Emmanuel, God with us. Let's go back to Joseph, right? Joseph was enslaved in Egypt. Potiphar saw that God was with him. Joseph was imprisoned and falsely accused. The guards saw that God was with him. When Joseph was placed a second in command, I love this phrase, Pharaoh said he saw that the Spirit of God was upon him, that God was with him. The Spirit was upon him and God was with him. This is a common theme with God's friends. It's common. You see it with Paul. right? Paul was imprisoned by Rome. What well, is what does he write? I'm a prisoner of my Lord Jesus Christ. There is no one that can take me captive because I'm already captivated by the one who matters. I'm already captivated by my Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only one that matters. He is my Lord. He is my King. That's something that you can't take away. For Joseph, Paul is the sweet, tangible presence of God. That presence of God, God with them, Emmanuel, God with them, God's heart, will, face, everything turned towards them. Colossians 1.27 To them God will to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's not about the destination. It's about the journey. I used to hate that phrase. Deb used to say that to me a lot because I'll get cranky when like we're on long drives or something. She'd say, it's not about the destination. It's about the journey. But I, That's been eating at me. That's been really eating at me and stripping away any rushing, any hurrying. You know, it's not about the destination, but the journey. It's not about the destination, it's about your transformation. We are transformed through walking with God in and out of season. We can only steward our dreams and prophetic destiny by walking with God in and out of season. And the thing that you really want, anyways, that true fulfillment of what's in your heart, that what you really need is the accessible, tangible, close, ever-present presence of God that's what you really want that's what you really need so my encouragement is this just be faithful be faithful in the waiting don't be consumed by your dreams of what you envision even if you know it's going to come to pass in like down the road don't be consumed by that because when you get consumed by that and you're just looking at yourself you're just looking at oh wow look at what I can be look at who God is look at who God is don't make it so much about you Learn to be sensitive daily to the omnipresent, all-powerful, close presence of God. Understand that the work of the Holy Spirit in you is transformation. It's not just your destination. It's transformation into what? To be like Christ. It's not about the destination, but your transformation. Let's pray. Lord, um, Lord, we repent. (coughs) Lord, it's so easy to make things so much about us, so much about me, so much about our ambitions or our desires, Lord. And sometimes we even take a good thing that you've given us and we make it that ultimate thing. Lord, forgive us, Lord, for taking our eyes off of you being more concerned with your hands than with your face, being more concerned with what you give than with who you are. Lord, our prayer, my prayer is that our house, Lord, in the way that we live our lives, that it will be in pursuit of your presence, of your face, Lord. And anything that opposes that, even our ego, our will, Lord, we want to put it to death. Lord, show us what it means, Lord, to be sensitive to you and to really walk in step with you. Lord, even when we hit lows, even when we feel like we're in a season of waiting that's going 25 years. Because you are faithful to your word. You are faithful to your promises. You are faithful to your people. When your words go out, it, re- it reaps life. It produces life. It produces Something beautiful. And your words have been spoken over us, Lord. Help us to hear them, Lord. Help us to be that fertile soil that doesn't get choked up by the thorns of life, that doesn't get choked up by, or let um, things get into shallow ground, Lord, with other clutter and rocks. But let the word of God penetrate deep into our hearts so that it produces something beautiful that is beautiful unto your name, Jesus. Lord, and I also just thank you for what you have released, the dreams The vision, Lord, we thank you because we know this will come to pass, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that what I see right now around me is acceleration and I see breakthrough, Lord. And I thank you also for even the ways that the enemy has tried to utilize setbacks to discouragement, that your words are encouraging, that your words champion us forward, Lord, into what you are doing, into what you are saying, Lord. So we thank you, Lord, because you are good, you are faithful. Lord, and we trust you. You're a good God. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thanks for listening to the Rescue Church podcast. We would love to see you in person. For more information, visit rescuechurch.tv slash invite.